introduction because uh, those of you who have been following on previous sermons will know will know the context uh, that, that this is. This is the, the concluding days of Jesus' ministry and, and his days in the flesh. Uh, he, uh, the message from the beginning has, has been to prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord's covenant people Israel, the ancient people, had the privilege of all of the Old Testament scripture, the testimony of so many prophets, also John the Baptist, who was uh, by Jesus' own acclamation, uh, one of the finest ever, perhaps the finest of all for the prophets to have come. And he insisted two things, repentance, repent, turn to God, prepare your hearts fully. And then he also said, behold the Lamb of God, he is the one that takes away the sins of the world, and he is the one who has promised and was coming, and so from now on, uh, he must increase and I must decrease. That, that, that whole preparation period was crucial. And then Jesus came and he was reforming, reforming the faith and the practices of Israel. They had, they had turned and drifted aside from the plain teaching of the law. They perverted the law, added other things to the law, became legalistic. And they had so perverted uh, the sacraments in terms of the, the, uh, the meaning uh, of, of the signs and seals of that covenant of grace, where they really weren't looking to what was pointed out. They weren't re looking to the Lord as a Savior as much as the actual ceremony as the saving event. So he was reforming gospel, and he was reforming law. And Jesus himself is, of course, the gospel. And with him comes the full and right teaching of God's law. So that's the context. Uh, the people gladly heard him. The leaders gladly hated him. They've reviled Jesus, and now he's at the point now where to, to being uh, rejected. He will be uh, sentenced. He will be executed and will die. But that's, that's his mission. Let's now read our, our text. It will be verses 31 through 46, Matthew uh, 25 verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand, with the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Thus far reading God's holy, inerrant word. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you by God's, God's good help and grace. It will be preached. Please have a seat. Thank you. If you're like me, uh, I, I hate to fail a physical examination. What I mean by this is I know that there's some blood tests coming up and I need to visit for my annual wellness check and I, I prepare by studying as a word. It's not quite cheating, but I'm hoping to hear a good verdict. And I'm hoping to hear a good verdict from my doctor, not only because I'm interested in my health, but because I want to avoid what seems to be his punishment, uh, namely surgeries and procedures that are inconvenient, expensive, etc. And so I'll, I'll you know, come the day of, the, of beckoning, the day, the day of, of my wellness, my annual wellness check uh, coming, I begin to behave better. I begin to eat better. Uh, I begin to sleep better. And in the hopes of passing this, because one thing I don't want is to flunk the judgment of my doctor. But you know, some things are unavoidable, right? It pertains to the righteous as to the unrighteous. You know, we're all, we're all going to fail in health at one point or another. And it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And so, and so I try to be realistic and hopeful at the same time. But when he gives me a good verdict, I, I am so, I am so happy. You know, I, I usually celebrate by having a donut or something, you know. Sometimes, however, that, that visit will, will have bad news. And we can scarcely do anything. We're locked into our DNA. We're, we're, like, we're locked into our, our work pattern. We're locked into any number of things. And, and it's just, it can't be helped with, we're going we're gonna to face some medical, some surgical intervention. I'm here to say, though, that the day of the Lord, the judgment day, uh, can be a dreaded day. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a dread day for those who love the Lord Jesus, who, who want to see him vindicated. Because this, as I've said before in other occasions, the judgment day is the day where the Father will glorify His Son, the Lord Jesus, in one final act of public, worldwide presentation of His delight in Jesus. Jesus, whom wicked hands, wicked men took and unjustly sentenced and cruelly tormented and killed on the cross, condemned as a liar and a blasphemer, this Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, 
will sit on his glorious throne with millions of angels and will show the world plainly that he has vindicated and he has justified his son, the Lord Jesus. And he is mightily pleased and all judgment has been given to him. Judgment in heaven and earth. Eternal judgment, the gravity of which we can scarcely begin to imagine. The majesty of one who was humble to come to his Jerusalem mounted on a foal of a donkey, now seated on a light, a gloriously lit throne, high and lifted up. And the fate of every soul is upon his lips, for his judgment is right and true. And because the Lord has vindicated Jesus by raising him to the dead, this is his final act of saying, see, I told you that this would be the case, that indeed it was the case, and this is the natural culmination. For Jesus has died for the sins of the world, all who believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He died for sinners in the place of sinners, the sinners who deserve the death might be raised to a life in corruption, incorruptible, might be forgiven, might be received of his right hand into joy forever. That's good news. That's the gospel. Jesus has been vindicated through the resurrection of the dead and the live evidence, the, the, the unrefutable evidence in front of everyone who has ever lived is right before us as he judges the world on the last day. And because we are in union with that one in the Holy Spirit, because we have identified with his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we also participate in his vindication. We will be justified. We will be vindicated. We will not be condemned. And all those who have called God a liar, either to his face directly, in so many words and print, so many awful philosophies, so many bad religions and false prophets and deceptions of Satan and devilish, devilish teaching. All those who have denied the Son and the Father will be on his left, the goats. A day, a day of tremendous black woe, a day of pronouncement of death. But that day doesn't have to catch you by surprise. And this is one examination that you can pass. For today is the day of salvation. You don't have to just sit here and hope with fingers crossed that all will go well. You can be assured of a blessed verdict and be assured that that would be the best day of your life, the very best, and even the start of an eternal life so glorious that, again, you will scarcely believe and if you were told, you can do something about it. And the Lord himself here in his Gospels has been telling us what we can do about that day. We can be spared the shame. We can be spared the, the sentence of guilty. We can, be, we can instead have an embrace from God, a, a well done, good and faithful servant, a, a smile and a reward, a, a gracious, gracious reward more abundant than we can ever imagine, a love lavished on us as we now, 
are glorified in the image of our Savior whom we love, whom we have not seen but we adore, whom we want to resemble in every way. It's our heart's ambition and desire to be holy as he is holy. The Lord knows all that. And we will, we will get the desires of our hearts. We will be holy. And we will get the desires of our hearts. We will have him forever. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want Jesus? So this teaching is about how it will go. And the basis. And just one, one basis. Not just all basis, but one basis. And I'm going to go through this quickly because that introduction was long, wasn't it? I had to get your attention. I want you to understand that today is the day of salvation. You don't, you don't have to put off. You don't have to go home and switch on a, a football game. I don't, is there football? Are we in football season? I don't even know what season this is. Hockey? What, what do we got? I don't know what we have. Because I am so much into thinking about what's coming in eternity. And at my age, who knows? Maybe I'll see him sooner than I, I even know. I'm so very much looking forward to the vindication of our dear Lord that everything else begins to pale. He's worthy of all adoration, all of our attention, all our obedience. The teaching here is that the Lord Jesus will judge all mankind on the last day, and he will make a difference between the just and the unjust. He will pronounce everlasting blessings or everlasting curses every man's work substantiating giving evidence to the Lord's final final verdict the first point of the sermon the Lord Jesus will judge all mankind on the last day he judges as the son of man this is the title of humility that he chooses and he still he still points to himself as that son of man a man placed in a position to judge all men. How equitable. When people hear that God will judge the world, they can scarcely identify, well, how, what was, how does God know anything about my life? You know, He doesn't have the struggles that I have. He doesn't know. He, he, surely he understands temptation and, and will excuse my sin. The Lord Jesus is the son of man. He's, he's a man. He was subject to all these things, Temptations and weaknesses, hunger, thirst, weariness, he never sinned. A man, a perfect man, a sinless man, a divine man, of course. And because he is a divine man, he did not sin in the days of his flesh, but presented himself a perfect, unblemished sacrifice, the Lamb of God, no blemish, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The divine man, Jesus, and as such, he will not render a mistake. There will be no mistaking. There will be no misunderstanding. He sees all. He knows all. The Son of Man will judge. And he will judge as the King of Kings. Not in glory, even though he takes the title Son of Man here. He comes in glory. Not, not in humble humanity. No longer robed in poverty. Not, no longer robed as, 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 as it were, a hidden life reserved, reserved for the final presentation of his glory until the Lord himself, the Father, would, would glorify him. Waiting on his Father, humbling himself 
to the lowest degree. And he comes with all of his holy angels. These are, these are his ministers from heaven. They have been with Christ ever since their creation as the second person in the Trinity. They've known him since their creation date. Angels are created beings. They serve him, the holy angels do. They've been awaiting this day for a long time because it's been a mystery as to who the sons of God really are. They have some idea. Uh, they don't have full and perfect knowledge until the Lord Jesus reveals it. But they too, along with all nature, uh, they are waiting for the declaration of, and the adoption of the sons of God. And this is the event that they've been waiting for. For they will be companions. The saints will be companions and friends with angels in heaven forever and ever. Well, not heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. Heaven is just a depository until the Lord remakes heaven and earth, and then we'll be back here. Uh, he just has to do some house cleaning uh, before we are populated back on earth. And uh, Jesus, as King of Kings, is seated on his throne of glory. You might catch a, a glimpse of that uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, but uh, it'll be more glorious than that because that's in heaven, and the glorious throne that we're talking about appears on earth. The Father will greatly glorify the Son by appointing him as the judge over all men. And this is the Father's last smile, you might say, last vindication and proof, evidence to all the world that he has loved his Son, that this is his beloved Son upon, upon whom he is altogether pleased. And no mouth will be able to refute that. No other apologetic need to be given. Uh, and uh, all will confess him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, my friends, as, as, this, as you love the Lord Jesus, as you see him, and you wish that people would, you wish that people would just listen. Why are so why are people so biased against the truth of the gospel? Wait, why cannot they believe the prophets of old? The testimony is so clear. Ah, it's clear to you, my brothers and sisters, because you see it. You have eyes to see. You have ears to hear. And wisdom is easy to those who are wise. It comes simply but to knaves and fools and blind people and deaf. We might as well charm an adder. They're dead in sins and trespasses. But you have been longing and you have been hoping that Jesus will finally get a fair shake in our public schools, in our academies, in our workplace, in our dialogue with friends. And this is the day where all the work will be done for you, all your apologetic. You should welcome this day. It greatly glorifies God and greatly glorifying Jesus, his suffering servant, and this is Jesus' reward and inheritance. Now, isn't that a good day to work? As long as you, my friend, have that perspective, you will never fear the day of judgment. Because it's not about you after all, is it? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus. And this is great. The Lord Jesus will judge all mankind by the appointment of the Father because it's glorious. Number two. Second point, the Lord Jesus will finally separate the just from the unjust. And he will do this, first of all, by gathering all kinds of people. 
just and unjust, all mankind to himself. And there's only two kinds of people in the world, just and unjust. And they will be gathered from all the nations. And I will say even Israel is here included. Israel is not accept, accepted. There's no special condition for that people. There's only one covenant of grace, and it's at the hands of this mediator Christ who is appointed to be the Savior of the world. There are not two ladders to heaven. There are not two ladders to the new heavens and the new earth. All must come to Christ. All must be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is to say, the sign pointing to uh, Jesus himself, who is the, the Redeemer. They must receive Christ, is what I'm saying. <clears throat> he will gather all his people on this one day. And it will be only one day of judgment for all peoples. I know you've heard mo modern eschatologies beginning in the 19th century, all kinds of very fanciful uh, descriptions of what will happen in the end and in the last day. It's very simple. The Lord will appear. The Lord will be vindicated before all heaven and earth. And the final destiny will be determined all in one day. One mass of mankind composed of two, and only two types from the beginning. The seed of promise, whereupon uh, a child was to be born to the mother of all the living Eve, and that child would bruise the head of the serpent. There's that seed of the woman that was promised, and that seed was culminated in Christ. And he is the promised seed, and he is the redeemer. And all who are in Christ are of that seed and line, the line of the, of the gospel seed promise. And then there are those who are the seed of Satan, the serpent. The serpent who must be crushed, but the serpent who will uh, snap at the heels of the, of the son of the woman and bruise him, but will not, will not conquer Two lines, two seeds. Sheep, these are the righteous. These will stand at his right hand, the hand of favor with the Lord. That's how the Hebrew understood that. The Hebrews understood that line. And then the, the goats, and these are the unrighteous. They will stand at his left. These are disfavored. Both the church and the world are a mixed people. Uh, you've heard alternate theologies. This is a Presbyterian church. We don't believe that the church is a uniform, uh, ho uh, holy, holy saved people. Uh, we don't, I mean, a, a particular church may be all, all believers, and that's lovely, we want that, we strive for that, but we don't make that judgment, and we don't think our theology warrants that judgment. The visible church is a mixed congregation by design, by God's design. And so we must preach law and gospel. We must warn everyone to be repentant until the last. We must be warning people that they are to believe in Christ. And the true church is both preserved by the almighty power of God. The true, the true Christian is both preserved by God's almighty power in Christ being redeemed, and the true church and the true Christian will persevere in persevering grace. We are preserved, we are passive in that, and we, uh, we must persevere, and we are active in our sanctification. And we must be turning from sin, turning to God, believing in the Lord Jesus, resting in upon, upon Him, and diligently strive to enter that rest every day of our life, lest we drift away, and that's the epistle to the Hebrews. Both the church and the world are a mixed people. Believers must press on in holiness. 
They must distinguish themselves as much as possible from the world, the flesh, and Satan. And in the church, they must distinguish themselves as true sheep who love their shepherd, they are under the shepherd's authority and his government, and who do not chafe at the authorities that God has set, set above them in the church, that is to say, the officers of the church, or his preaching. From the beginning, mankind is of two seeds, and they will continue until the very last where Jesus makes the distinction on that last day. So you must ask yourself, do I, do I have a promise of God that that day, that that wellness check of my soul will be successful? Ask yourself that question now. If you say, oh, no, I know the promise. I, 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 think, uh, I think Elder Edwards read the, the promise of the resurrection unto life to all who believe. Oh, well, I can believe that promise. So I do have a promise that my wellness check at the last day will be okay. So if you are holding to that promise and believing it and waiting on that day for the Lord to do that for you, you are a son of promise, and it will go well with you. And if you continue to work out that grace, and as you have received mercy, you express that mercy to others, it's only natural because the seed of, of, of God, Christ, abides with you, and he and, his, and the Spirit will work the love of all that is of Christ. Inevitably, these other qualities will come and manifest. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God, the son of, sons of God are by promise. And the sons of the serpent are full of lies. And they love to trample and wreck and dis cause discord in the garden. They won't come to the light. Theirs is, the, theirs is the, sh the darker shrubs. Theirs are hidden ways, not open conversations. Deception, slander, forked tongue of gossip. The Lord Jesus Christ will finally separate the just from the unjust. To us, they're not apparent. On that day, it'll be very apparent. There'll be no mistaking where you, where you stand. Finally, point number three. Now I've got four points. The Lord Jesus will pronounce blessings to the just. And the Lord Jesus, this Lord Jesus who denounced the Pharisees as hypocrites in Matthew 23 with, I think there were eight abominable curses and, and denunciations of woe. This one will curse the unjust. And he will do so as the king of kings and the king of an everlasting kingdom. Again, we're not used to this kind of royalty. We, we, we are not used to this kind of pageantry. We, we are not used to this kind of government. Now, we try, we try to clean things up and afford a nice, a nice sanctuary and all that, but the glory of that day cannot be approached by anything we do with our hands. Because the glory of that day is the king himself shining in the light of God's holiness. And he, from his own lips, will address you, and not in general terms. He will address you, and he will say to you, you come into the kingdom. You are the blessed of the Lord. You at my right hand. You are righteous. I have been vindicated. 
and you in me have been vindicated. That is to say, I, I have been justified by the Father, and you are justified in me, not by your works, but because you are in me, by your association, by your union, by your, you identifying with me, by you claiming my name and owning my name and receiving my spirit. You are righteous. Come into the inheritance prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You were elect. He knew exactly what he was going to leave you as his inheritance for you. He has had you in mind all along, even before you ever knew. When you were rebellious in sin and dead in trespasses, he knew that he would bring him, you to himself. The rationale for the pronouncements here is just one. There's only one parameter, really. I, there are many occasions expressed, the visitation of the sick, the clothing of the naked, the feeding of the hunger, the watering of the thirsty. But what do we call this but mercy? It pertains to those who've tasted mercy, to love mercy. And mercy has always been a distinguishing badge of God's true people and who, who, who love the Lord's will and who long to complete it. Micah 6 8. The question is, how can I show my love to God? Should I, should I now? I've got the means. Maybe Solomon would have the means. Maybe I can come and present a 10,000 rivers of oil, limitless sacrifices of goats and sheep and bulls. Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of, of my body for the, for the works of my, of my soul? He doesn't want any of that. The Lord has not required any of that. What he said to you, old man, and he said something very good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? All this show of religion, all the show of outward sacrifice and ceremony. Well, sometimes if it's from the heart like Solomon was, the Lord is happy to bless it. But he's not asking for that. He's, he, look, what he's asking for is a, is, is a heart that loves him and loves his creation. And that's called being merciful. Those who have the means express mercy. James 2, I'll mention that in a second here. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. The response of the blessed is, is, is surprise. They said, well, when did we see... When did we ever see you? This is, wow. Well, of course, they had their Bibles, and they're not going to be completely surprised, but maybe they have, have forgotten this passage. I hope you don't forget this passage. Maybe, maybe some of them, I don't know. But the, the, the element is of surprise because uh, the Lord has so identified himself, not with the great, not with, not with potentates and kings, not with... I, uh, presidents, and not with uh, uh, important councils and generals, admirals. He's identified himself with the, with the least of all human beings because the least human being is in God's image. And God's image is something that we must cherish and love because it's in the one's image that we love. And so we have a, the blessed of surprise. When, would, what, what, when did we see you in all this? 
And the, the king's reply is this, I'm, I'm saying you the truth. This is assuredly, it's hard to believe, but if you help the least of my brothers, that was really help to me. That was help to me. And so this underscores the importance of practical religion and showing mercy to those who are in need. On the other hand, the left hand, the Lord will say, the king, the everlasting king of the everlasting kingdom, he says, depart from the kingdom into the eternal fire, you cursed of the Lord. This is the realm that had been prepared for the devil and his angels. But then his seed follow him, the offspring of the vipers in that, that generation, and the fallen angels. The fallen angels whom God and Jesus, the Trinity, the glory of heaven, holiness, truth, righteousness, that was not enough for them. No. There was, they needed more. Yeah. Lucifer, an angel, presented a thesis. Sounded good. Many of the angels followed him. God wasn't enough. They had to have glory. They had to have power. They had, to, they had to have something. And it wasn't God. And they were deceived. And they failed. The rationale for the pronouncement of damnation is that they were not merciful. It's, it's the sin of omission. These people didn't commit adultery. They didn't, they didn't, kill, they didn't kill their neighbor. They didn't blaspheme. Maybe some of them even kept uh, the, the Sabbath day holy. Maybe they read their Bibles a lot. They did a lot of things, but they didn't do a lot of things that they should be doing, but they omitted to do them. And the, what they omitted in all of their self-righteousness and their wicked indignation and lust of pride is mercy because they never tasted mercy. They never thought mercy was of a priority or of any value. They knew no mercy. They expressed no mercy. And here's what James says in James 2 and 12, uh, in verses 12 through uh, 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty as sons who know mercy, who know Righteousness, who, who keep in step with the Spirit and, and enjoy peace in the church and enjoy forgiving others and, and actually know that God has reserves of grace to cause you, if you receive that grace by faith, to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, to bless those who curse you, So speak and so act as those to be judged under the law of liberty, for just judgment is without mercy to those who show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if on that day in your wellness check of the last day you want to triumph, then you begin to, you must begin to relish the grace that God has given you. All your multitude of sins forgiven freely. Keep your rivers of oil. Ah, Jerusalem is a small city. We don't, have, we don't have room here for rivers of oil. 
just to walk humbly with your God, love, love mercy. The response of the cursed is surprise. The same thing, same way. Well, how did we see you, Lord? Lord! They know Jesus is Lord. Oh, the cat's out of the bag now, right? Of course they know. Of course they know who that is. When did we see you naked? What? Well, no, you, you turned your blind eye to me many times. I came into your sanctuary and you turned your shoulder to me. I, I was lonely and called you. Can I, can I come over? No. No. The response of the curse is surprise. Lord, if we, if we had only known it was you. Oh, no, no, but I'm telling you it was me all along. I, I'm telling you that it was me. And he says, truly, truly. You didn't help the least of my brothers. No help to the least of my brothers was no help to me. And then he declares their inheritance. The election and sovereignty of God is, is absolute. Your inheritance has been prepared expressly for you by God before all time. And this is sovereign, irrevocable grace to you and a passing over of your love of sin, of your celebration of Satan and his kingdom. These bars will hold you because your love, your heart is wed to idols, your heart is wed to violence and deceit. You love unrighteousness. Your, your tongue is like quicksilver for it. You cannot control your mouth. You defame all of God's creatures, especially those that are more honorable and holier than you. You detest the light. And so you'll be given all the darkness that you have ever cherished. What evidence then can you, can you give, my friends, for your wellness check? You need to just consider this one parameter. There are other parameters, but just consider one parameter, the parameter of mercy. What, what can you, how can you substantiate your profession of faith? James 2, verse 14 18. What good is it, my brothers? He's talking to the church. James is talking to the church. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, very religious, that we love the, we, 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 we love the, the vocabulary of the reform, don't we? Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. At least he's talking to the guy, right? Yeah, at least he's talking to the guy. But without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And that, my friends, is the word of God from James 2, verses 14 and 18, and that is inviolable. My friends, the blessing of the Lord is of no small matter. Christ's blessing makes... The difference in everything. I'm always abashed when people leave the service before the benediction. I will tell you, uh, you don't understand. Your parking spot or your turkey in the oven cannot possibly, unless you have a medical emergency, I don't see, I, I don't know what scenario would justify you week upon week to turn your back on the benediction as if, what? 
It was a formality. The Lord in his word, by his authority, in his ministers are pronouncing what you want to hear on the last day. And if you do not hear blessed, then you, have, then you will hear the other. You need to get through this worship service with a heart to please God and hearing everything in love and storing it up in your heart and to receive that blessing and do not leave this sanctuary until you hear and until you grab Jesus by the, by the robe and insist that he bless you. And the way he's going to do it is through his ministry. I've said it before, every, every Lord's Day or every worship service is a dress rehearsal for this judgment day. The more dress rehearsals you get, the, the better you'll sing on the last day. Critical difference in your life, this blessing. Seek his blessing. Ask for it. Look up to receive it. Look up by faith. It's not just an, it's not, not just an interesting thing that we say. And that's why I hate announcements before the blessing. It's, it's crazy. What is this? Get out of the way. I want to hear the Lord. I want to hear the Lord. Keep your hot dogs. Sermon point number four. The Lord Jesus himself will direct the just and the unjust to their eternal places. He himself. Very quickly. First door on your left. That's hell. First door on your right. Everlasting bliss. The just will enter into everlasting life. Do you see that this is called majesty? Majesty is authority with absolute declarative power to change the course not only of history in your life, but eternally. And there's no going back. We are to live before the Lord, anticipating that, that moment and that verdict. You and all men, we must begin to revere him now as the Lord of glory ascended to the right hand, your Savior, but also your, your King, and your prophet. Listen to his every word. Your eternal soul hangs on a favorable verdict on that day. And the blessed happiness of the saints that happens beyond imagining. We ought to be meditating on that day. We ought, to, we ought to spend time. The Lord's day afternoon is perfect. Spend time. Enact the whole, set it up as a theater stage in your mind. The majesty, the throne, Christ, his angels, all mankind that has ever lived. Rehearse the terms of his pronouncements. Resolve to make differences. You, you must change something in your life. One thing you can do, this is we have a, a, a deacon's offering. Every time we have communion, we take an offering, and that, that diaconal offering goes 100%. 100% to the poor and to the needy. There's no other overhead. 100% of the money. The deacons certainly don't, don't profit by it. I certainly, it's not in my salary. It's easy. If you have the means, the scripture says, do not withhold the giving of good when it is in your hand to do it. And then, of course, upon entering the, blessed, the state of the blessed, imagine being freed from sin, being absolutely free without distraction to worship God. 
fullness of joy, fullness of every fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and brotherly kindness. Isn't that the paradise? Isn't that what you've always wanted? Friendship with the Lord in Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Think about these things. Take time and be watchful. And as we've seen already in chapter 25, be watchful, exercise godly dominion, gifts. And this is about exercising your, your graces. For many, many will have the gifting of the Holy Spirit operating them outwardly and fail the judgment of the graces. Graces trump gifts in the church. Graces, character, righteousness trumps giftedness, giftedness and knowledge. Grace trumps gifts. You'll be judged on both. You'll be judged, uh, you know, mercifully and favorably on both. But if you must add anything to faith, add to your faith virtue. And then you can add knowledge. And then you can add knowledge and get with all your giftedness. The conclusion then, the Lord Jesus will judge all mankind on the last day. He will distinguish between the just and the unjust. He pronounces everlasting blessings or curses every man's work, substantiating the Lord's final judgment. Well, one final admonition is this. Would you plead with the Lord in prayer to have you see him and every man and every woman and every child. We are created in his image for a reason. You are to honor all men. And the test comes when you must honor the poor, the needy, the afflicted, the one that has bed sores and they don't smell so good, the one you have to visit in the nursing home and, and it, uh, why does this have to be so bad in here. I don't like being here. The persecuted, the misunderstood, the, the displaced. Think of how many prophets were ousted, were rejected, were contradicted, were ignored, were persecuted, were put to death. Chiefly, my friends, the Lord Jesus. Such is the violence of the wicked but such is the perseverance of those who know the Lord. The gospel is before us. I, I've mentioned it already at least twice. The gospel is before us. God has granted all nations remittance of sins and repentance in the name of Christ Jesus. He wants us to remember that as a church. That is the central reason we are here, to proclaim the glory of Christ, because we love him, we want to see his name vindicated, and we will esteem his sacrifice on our behalf above everything in the world. That's why we're here, and we're not fishing on the rocks of Galveston, catching sheep's head and black bass or whatever else is out there today. And as an emblem of that and a sign of that, we have the Lord's Supper. This is his body that was presented on our behalf. He who kept covenant was broken in two as the lamb 
portions in the day of Abraham were, was broken. Not that his body was broken physically, but as a, as, a, as a covenant breaker, which he was imputed to be. He was imputed to be a blasphemer, and a blasphemer is a covenant breaker. And that's the sin that, that, that they charged him with, the crime that they, that, they, that they charged Jesus with, unjustly. A covenant-breaking man, so he needs to be rent in two. But his body was broken for us, and his blood was shed for us, so that we would not be judged as covenant breakers. We who really have broken covenant, we've taken so many membership vows and we throw them out the window. So many marriage vows, out they go. So many promises to our children, so many promises. All failing. We're sinners. Sinners need to be saved. And this, my friend, this is the final cure and the only cure. Will the elders please come up? Jesus instituted this sacrament. It's an ordinance of the Lord and is to be remembered until he returns. He's pleased that we remember him in this table. Now, if you are not Presbyterian, but if you are visiting from another church and you are a professed Christian, you've been baptized, uh, you, you've been under uh, his shepherding care by uh, a gospel minister or a team of ministers, this is your table as well. This is the Lord's table. This is the Lord's supper. So you, you may come, but in your coming, you must understand in good conscience that you fit into the picture of this table. As far as you know, you are affirming your baptism. You are truly and actually at war with a world that is at war with God and his kingdom. You are at war with your flesh in the spirit. You are subduing by and by the deeds of the body through the help of the Spirit. And you uh, have no interest in compromising with any of Satan's lies. And so you will do battle there and continue. If you are doing that, improving on your baptism, and you are a regular member, this table is for you. But my friends, if you have capitulated and do not want to be reconciled to God, and of course when you do that, you will not be reconciled to any of his people because we are in God, in Christ. This table is not for you. You can leave whatever you thought you had for this place, including your deacon's offering, go and make up with your brother and then come back. There's one thing we can't do is to corrupt, profane the sacrament. The sacrament is holy. If you bring yourself here in hypocrisy, you profane it to your own demise. And so if you're at peace in the church and you have resolved with God and man, you're welcome. Let me read the words of institution. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
You do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. If we examine ourselves, we're always going to find sin. But sin is no bar to this table. Sin is no bar. You can come. This is for sinners. This is medicine, I said. Just make sure that you will make repair by his grace. This is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we had judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we're condemned eternally? No, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. God doesn't want to condemn us. This is an ordinance for your health, and he doesn't want you to suffer shame by it. And that's his heart. He wants to help. So, by the Lord's grace, help us, Lord, to comply. Let's pray. Lord, these elements are so common, they are almost trite. Bread, wine. But by your word, they become for us a soul-sustaining, soul-enriching dining of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are spiritually here, and you are sp spiritually with us in the, in the worship service, but also in the very bread, the very wine. And as we now, Lord, before we dine on the Lord Jesus, who is our life itself, we ask that you bless and sanctify this bread and wine that this table may indeed be holy. And may we, Lord, partake worthily by your grace to sinners in Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
on that last night on his, uh, of his earthly ministry, the Lord was at table in the upper room with his friends, and he took bread, and he broke the bread in their presence. And he said, this, this bread is my body, and it's broken for you. You take, you eat, remembrance of me.